And I want to open the word with you today for a few minutes and really share some things that are kind of right along the lines of, of, what, um, of what we've been talking about. Because in Genesis chapter 33, and if you'll open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 33, you've been going through this wonderful series, as I understand, about the life of Jacob and God's dealings and workings with this man, Jacob. And I want to bring your attention today to Genesis chapter 33, this amazing encounter that Jacob has with his brother Esau. And we're going to begin reading. We're going to read this whole chapter together. It's a brief chapter. And then look at what God wants to teach us through this. And I want to share in the process just a couple more things about Ukraine Genesis chapter 33, then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Then Esau ran to him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. He lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near with their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise came near with her children, and they bowed down. And afterwards, Joseph came near with Rachel, and they bowed down. And he said, What do you mean by all this company which I have met? And he, Jacob, said, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. Jacob said, no, please. If if now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand. For I see your face as one sees the face of God. And you have received me favorably. Please take my gift, which has been brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have plenty. Thus he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us take our journey and go, and I will go before you. But he said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they're driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord pass on before his servant, and I will proceed at my leisure according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according to the pace of the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. Esau said, Please let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built for himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore the place is named Succoth. Now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he had come from Paddan Aram and camped before the city. He bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Now, when we open to the 33rd chapter of Genesis, we we, we realize that it's been more than 20 years since Jacob left his father, his mother, and his brother Esau and journeyed north to Haran. Now he's about to see his brother's face for the first time in over two decades. And in this chapter, as we look at the life of Jacob, 
I believe that we see at least three amazing miracles that only God alone could have accomplished since the last time Jacob had seen Esau. And what I hope, my friends, is that as we look briefly at these three miracles that only God could have done, I hope it causes us to ask ourselves, is there something miraculous about my life that can only be explained by God? Is there something supernatural about my life that can only be explained because of the mercy and grace and power of God? When you think about it, so much of Christianity is devoid of the supernatural today, isn't it? Christianity to so many people is just holding to some kind of creed. It's just going through the motions, and really, if you take the supernatural, the miraculous out of it, most people's Christianity could go on just like it always has. But authentic Christianity is more than just doing what God wants you to do in your own power. Authentic Christianity is when you have the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, of the Holy Spirit operating in your life, regenerating, sanctifying, enabling And when you think about it, that's what Christianity is really about. It's not just holding mentally to a creed. And I wonder if we could ask ourselves the question, as we look at Jacob's life and realize there's some things here in this chapter that only God could have done. Can someone look at my life and say, there's something in his life. There's something in his life that I can't explain by any human means. God has done something. I want my life to taste of the supernatural. Isn't that what you want, brothers and sisters? Don't we want our lives to reflect something more than just a creed, something miraculous? Well, first of all, when we look at Jacob's life here, we see that God has, number one, done something miraculous in Jacob's heart. He's done something miraculous in Jacob's heart. He's transformed him into a very different man. Make no mistake, friends, the the man who crossed the stream this morning, as we read in, in Genesis 33, the man who crossed the stream to meet Esau was a very different man from the Jacob who had fled from Esau years before. Think about what has happened in that proud, scheming, deceptive Jacob since the last time he and his brother met in over two decades. I mean, he left with his brother threatening to kill him. And then he had an encounter with God. Do you remember where it was at? Bethel. And there you remember the, 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 the stairway. He saw the angels ascending and descending to heaven. And God gave him a promise there. I'm going to be with you, Jacob. I'm not just your father's God. I am your God. I'm going to be with you. God began to do a work in Jacob's heart then. But then over the years, over the next decades, God did a humbling work in Jacob's life. Jacob, who had always gotten his way by scheming and deceiving, his very name means deceiver or supplanter. Now Jacob, by his own cousin Laban, is deceived. He's deceived by his uncle Laban, and, and he is treated uh, unfairly and unjustly, and he experiences a humbling in his own life. And now as he's leaving Haran, heading south, Haran would be like in southern Turkey today, 
And as he's heading south, getting near the Jordan River, near Canaan, he comes to this place, and, and you remember what happens there at Mahanaim. He wrestles with the Lord. And that's an amazing experience that Jacob has. And in that process of wrestling with the Lord, Jacob doesn't let go until he's blessed by God. And he gets a new name, the name of Israel. But now it's the next morning. Jacob has had this amazing experience. All this has happened since the last time he met Esau. And the man that walks back across the river toward the approaching armies of his brother Esau is a very different man. He's a man that's been changed and transformed by the grace of God. I, I remember a message that I heard years and years ago by a, a man who's now with the Lord, the late Reverend Ron Dunn, who he described the scene. And I want to just read to you from his sermon what he, what he describes. As the sun gently nudges its way into the eastern sky, Jacob's wives, Rachel and Leah, gather their children and servants at the edge of the Jabbok stream. The long night of waiting is over. Suddenly, someone shouts, there he is. Sure enough, it's Jacob crossing the brook. But wait, something's not right. He's limping. It looks like a bad limp, someone calls out. Do you suppose he's stumbled in the dark and twisted his leg? As Jacob draws closer, it's obvious that there's more than just a limp. His clothes are dirty and torn. His face is bruised. His hair is disheveled. Jacob looks like he's been in a dog fight, and the dog won. They rush over to him. Jacob, Jacob, what happened? Oh, he says, smiling, his eyes bright. I got blessed last night. Shaking their heads, they watch him as he limps away. Someone whispers, doesn't like, look like any victorious Christian that I've ever seen. And you know what? Ron Dunn was right, my friends. Because usually, real men and women of God don't look like what we expect them to look like. They don't strut with pride. They often limp with brokenness and humility because of the transforming grace that has been at work in their lives, that's changed them from what they once were into something different. And God wants to do a work like that in my life, in your life, just like he did in Jacob's life. And he walked the rest of his life with a limp as a reminder of what God had done. And maybe people would look at that and see his weakness, but God looked at it and knew the strength, not of Jacob, but of Israel of Israel, the prince of God, the one who, who wrestled with God and held on for the blessing. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. And I thank the Lord that he's still, my friends, in the business of changing hearts and lives today, transforming people. It's the new birth. The apostle Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, the man who had been a vile slave trader, and yet God took him out of the depths and changed his life. He once wrote this. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not even what I hope to be. But I'm not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, God changes people. 
He changes lives, and he changed Jacob. He changed Jacob. That was a miracle that only God can do, and it's a miracle that only God can do in our lives too. It's a miracle that only God can do when we come to him in repentance and in faith in Jesus Christ and say, God, I can't change myself. I've tried to give up these habits. I've tried to do this. I've tried it. Only you can do a miracle and change my heart and give me a new birth and a new spiritual life. My friend, that's what Christianity is. It's a new creation in Jesus Christ. And I thank the Lord that God does it not only here in America, but he does it all over this world. In Haiti, where, where you just were, God's changing lives. In Ukraine, God's changing lives. In our villagers, a young man in our little church, you saw his picture up there. He was in that group of people. His name's Vitali. And Vitali, um, not the soldier Vitali, that was another one. This is in our little church in our village. He was one of the problems in our area. He was selling drugs in our town of Niparudni and Balki around us. And yet, God began to deal with his heart. God began to move in his heart. He came to church. He heard the gospel. And he knew, he knew that that Christ was the only way out for him. He was uh, facing physical issues in his life. He was facing spiritual torment. And he repented. He came forward. I remember the Sunday when he came and gave his heart to Jesus Christ and repented. And you know, he left. And I didn't find out about this till later. He told me, he said, you know, Pastor Scott, I had $1,000 worth of drugs at my house. Now, $1,000 is a lot for you and me, but for a Ukrainian, that's a fortune. And he said, I knew if I was really going to make a break with sin and get true victory with God, I had to, I had to give that up. And he said, it was, it was all that I could do. I, I threw all that. I flushed all those drugs down the toilet. I got rid of all of them. And he said, only then did I really have the true freedom and peace that I knew God wanted to give me. And you know, last year we went down to the river, our little church, we took them all down to the Nipper River. Our village is situated right on the banks and we baptized Vitali in the Nipper River. And he is serving the Lord today. God has changed that drug dealer, the one who used to be part of the problem in our village. And I talked to him last week. I said, how are things going, Vitali? Are you doing well? He said, I'm, we're doing a vacation Bible school this week. He said, I'm, I'm preaching the gospel to kids so that they don't make the same mistakes I made. You know, God is in the business of transforming people today. His grace is just as real today as it was in Jacob's life all those years ago. God has done something miraculous in Jacob's heart, transforming him into a different man. But you know, God has done something else miraculous as we look here. We see that God has done something miraculous in Jacob's heart, but also in his relationships, in his relationships, because God turned an impossible, hopeless situation into a peaceful encounter. And you know I'm talking about Esau, Jacob and Esau. I I suppose it's possible. I suppose it's possible that those 400 men that were riding with Esau were just kind of along for a, a ride, you know. Maybe they just needed some fresh air and they decided to go out with Esau, but I don't think so. I think those 400 men and Esau had some plans for Jacob. In fact, Jacob was, was sure of it because he separated his family, divided them up, but then what did he do? He had a promise from God. He had a promise from God, and he took that promise, and he went out, and he faced his brother, in humility and in brokenness. Trusting in the promises of God 
And what did God do? He did something miraculous. He did something supernatural. And we read that Esau fell on his brother, not with a sword, but he fell on him with an embrace and with kisses. What an amazing, can you picture what's happening here? I can just imagine the shock of Jacob. God has done a miracle. This is the one, this is the brother who swore that he'd kill me. And now he's falling on me with embraces and with kisses and with welcome and greetings. God turns an impossible, hopeless situation into something miraculous. And I believe, my friends, that God wants to do the same in our lives if we'll let him. Some of you have relationships that just seem impossible right now. And you just wonder how there can be any hope or healing. Some of you have circumstances in your life right now that you're thinking about. It may be financial, it may be physical, it may be medical, it may be uh, just uh, work-related or circumstances. And you just wonder, how is there any way out? And yet I want to say today that God loves to take those impossible situations and show in his own miraculous way a way out. Just like he did for Jacob here today. You know, Oksana already shared, when, when Daniel fell out of that window, I, we can't even express the, the horror that we had as we tried to rush him to the hospital over those village roads and as he was bleeding from his mouth and his nose and losing consciousness. And we wondered if he was dying. We didn't know what was happening. And we, couldn't, we were trying to get to a hospital. And, and when we got there, they said, we can't do anything for him except just kind of sedate him. We don't know what's really happening if he's bleeding on his brain. And they had to call an ambulance uh, from a and we had to wait four hours for that ambulance to come. And the whole time we're thinking, what's going on? What's happening? And yet, in that horrible circumstance, God brought good in ways that we couldn't have even imagined. Oksana, the first couple of days, was, was staying with Daniel in his bed there at the hospital. Um, it's a big room with all these other children and their parents. And uh, you don't get your own little uh, room or with two beds. It's a big room with lots of cots there. And so she was staying with him on his little bed there. And she needed a break. She was tired. So early in the morning, I came. I had been with our kids an hour and a half away in our village. And I came to give her a break. And she took the bus home to get washed up. And when all the other children woke up in, in the, the ward there where David was, or Daniel was at, um, this one little guy named Artyom walked over to me and he stood looking at me and looking at Daniel and he said, who are you? Because he, he was used to seeing Oksana there and I said, well, I'm uh, Daniel's papa. And he said, oh, where's, where's Aunt Tiotia Oksana or Aunt Oksana? And I said, oh, she had to leave for a while. And he said, oh, no. And I said, what's wrong? He said, well, if she's not here, who's going to pray with us now? And he looked at me, you know, and I, yeah, I had jeans and a t-shirt on, but I, he said, you don't look like you know how to pray. <laughs> I, I said, hey, wait a minute, what's your name? He said, Artyom. I said, Artyom, I do know how to pray, but I, I can also assure you that Aunt Oksana will be coming back and everything else. But in the meantime, I, can, I think I'll do for a while. And I began to talk with him. You know, nobody had ever prayed with that little guy. It was, I don't know what, nine years old, eight years old, nine years old. And he was so thrilled. And the other kids there in the bed, they were so thrilled that somebody before the meals, before bedtime at night would pray with them. They'd never experienced that in their lives. And I thought, you know, if Daniel wouldn't have been in this room, 
Artyom may never have had the opportunity to have someone teach him how to talk to Jesus. And then we began to minister and reach out to the nurses. And Tatiana, uh, or Tanya is the short form, one of the nurses that would give Daniel his IVs, she called Oksana just a couple days after we got home, right before we came back here to Ukraine, or to America from Ukraine. And she said, Oksana, I've been reading the Bible that you gave me, and the children's Bible also with my grandson. She said, I never imagined that what I'm reading in the Bible, I never had read it before. And now, can you tell me where I can find a church in our city here so that I can find out more about this? And I thought, you know, Tanya never may have known if Oksana wouldn't have been there to share that Bible with her. You know, we just don't, we can't imagine the things that God is orchestrating. And we look at it as a tragedy, and it really is a difficulty and an adversity. But do you believe that God can take the impossible situations in our lives and do something miraculous if we'll be obedient and we'll allow him to work all things together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purposes? God does something miraculous in Jacob's relationships here in his circumstances, but he also does something miraculous in Jacob's whole circumstance and his whole life because the final thing I want us to see today, did you notice how Jacob gives credit to God as he talks with his brother Esau? In verse five, uh, Esau says, who are, who are these with you? And Jacob, you know, Jacob doesn't say, well, Esau, you know, you can see I'm doing pretty well for myself here. You know, not bad. I've worked hard and, you know, done my best and tried to live out the American dream. And you know what? It's worked out for me pretty well here. You can see my wives, my children here doing well. No, that's not Jacob's response. In humility, Jacob says, these are the ones whom God has graciously given his servant. God has graciously given. And then in verse 11 again, he says, God has dealt graciously with me. You know, something had changed in this man's life. He saw that God was the one who was responsible for his circumstances. It was God and his mercy and grace that had blessed him, that had changed his circumstances. And Jacob didn't think of himself as worthy of that. He saw God as the one who had miraculously done what he didn't deserve. And he says, it's God who has graciously dealt with his servant And you know what? I believe God wants to take our lives to and make each of us trophies of his grace and mercy to a lost and dying world around us. You know, we never believed when we prayed for Ukraine all these years. And the Christians and the churches never believed when they prayed for Ukraine. And then this war happened. It looked like things were going from bad to worse. And you know, in a political, economic sense, and in terms of physical lives, and it is a very bad situation. But you know what we're beginning to realize in these chaplains that you saw up there, as we travel together, as we talk together, you know what we talk about? Isn't it amazing how God is answering our prayers for Ukraine right now? He is opening doors to share the gospel that were never opened before opportunities that never we never foresaw. God is doing something in Ukraine today that we never dreamed would have been possible. I want you to pray for those chaplains. As you pray for our family, pray for the Ukrainian churches, the people that are, you know, we can, if worse comes to worse, I suppose we could always come back to America. These people are living in their homeland. 
they're, for lack of a better term, they're stuck there. But they know that's where God's placed them. And they've been praying for their nation, just like we've been praying for Ukraine, but they've been praying for their own nation, just like we're praying for our own nation. And what an amazing thing it is to see God miraculously in ways that we never imagined and dreamed, working out his will so that people who have never heard can hear the gospel. And many of these soldiers that we are sharing with, I can see it as they ask questions. They have never, ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've perhaps been to to the Orthodox Church on Easter or Christmas. Some of them maybe even uh, paid the priest to have their children baptized, their little children, but they never have actually read the Bible or heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for the first time, as we open the Bible and say, God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, they're hearing those precious words for the very first time. And so You know, we have a a precious opportunity. We're seeing God do something miraculous in our circumstances. When we left three years ago, after you gave us those hand chimes, and we got on a plane just a couple weeks later and went to Ukraine, we never dreamed what kind of ministry God would open up for us. We thought we were just going back to our little village to quietly serve the children and, and visit the churches around our area to encourage them and to do conferences and to disciple maybe a couple new believers in our village. And we're still doing that, but we never dreamed of what God had around the corner. And I believe today in some of your lives, God is wanting to do something miraculous and supernatural if you'll allow him to do it. But I, I want to bring your attention in closing to what Jacob does at the very last verse here. Because this speaks volumes about what was happening in Jacob's heart and the change. It says when he got to Shechem, when he got to Shechem, he, he did what? He made an altar. And what did he call it? El Elohe Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. And who's Israel? Jacob. Jacob is saying, God You're not just the God of Abraham. You're not just the God of Isaac, my father. You're my God. I've seen what you've done. I've seen the change that you've made. And you, from this time forth, are my God, the God of Israel. And you know, if we're willing to come to God and say, Lord, I I don't want to just have the name Christian. I don't want to just have the title or the creed or the mental beliefs. I want to have the the, the miracle of the new birth. I want to have a heart that's been transformed and set free from sin so that I can live and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Then God can begin to do miracles in our hearts, in our families, in our circumstances. It's not just true for Jacob or for the missionaries in Ukraine or, or for those that are called to go to Haiti. It's true for every one of us right here where God's called us. He wants to do something miraculous and supernatural if we will say, God, you're not just the God of my church and of my pastor and of my parents. You're, the, you're my God. El Elohe Israel. Is he your God today? Not just in word, but in deed. Let's stand together and bow our hearts for prayer.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the transforming power of your grace in Jacob's life. I thank you for your grace in his circumstances, how you brought him into a peaceful meeting with his brother, how you changed his whole life by your mercy. And Lord, I believe that you want to do that in our lives, in our nation, in our church, in our circumstances, in our families today. I believe that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And together, we as your people bow before you today and we ask you, Lord, help our lives not to just be natural lives, but supernatural lives. It doesn't mean that we're going to go around and bring attention to ourselves. God, that's not what we want. All we want is for you to do something in our hearts and lives that will enable us to be your vessels so that we can share your love and make a difference in the people and lives around us. What a miracle that would be, God. What a miracle it would be to see you change the people around us that are so needy, so desperate in our nation that is searching today. It's not just Ukraine that is searching. It's our nation that is in desperate need of a touch from God today. Would you do a miracle and begin it in our lives, in our church, so that we can take it and be missionaries in our workplaces, in school, or wherever you've called us to, God? We'll give you praise for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.